Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Looking to advertise your product? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on Unchained and Unconfirmed. Before we dive into today's show, I have a quick announcement. Thank you to everyone who tweeted to enter the giveaway announced last week for Pamela Morgan's book, Crypto Asset Inheritance Planning. The winner was Brian Hodges from Fort Worth, Texas, who can be found on Twitter at TheRandom118, and who said that through my podcast, I was his earliest teacher in crypto, and that his wife is currently in a boot camp to learn about the crypto space and to switch careers. It sounds like they'll be making good use of the book. Thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode and tweeted to enter the giveaway. My guest today is Catherine Wu, Director of Business Development and Community at Masari. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me on, Laura. Crypto Twitter was abuzz this week about some news from Shapeshift, the exchange known for not requiring customer accounts. The founder and CEO, Eric Voorhees, who is an outspoken libertarian, was a guest this past winter on my other podcast, Unchained. So listeners should check that one out. And I will also disclose that Shapeshift has in the past purchased some ads on my podcasts. Catherine, can you briefly summarize Shapeshift's news for maybe those people who are still recovering from Burning Man and missed it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I will say, you know, obviously I'm not an official spokesperson for Shapeshift. I don't work there and I don't, you know, I don't know Eric personally. So this is just kind of my take on it. But basically this week, uh, Shapeshift made an announcement, um, which, uh, I mean, the short of it is just eventually accounts are going to be mandatory and required. And this is obviously a huge shift, like you said earlier, because they're kind of known for, you know, being able to convert your, your currencies without having to create an account or kind of disclose any other sort of information. And then on top of it, you know, the CEO, Eric Voorhees, who's, you know, I mean, he's always been very, very outspoken about the separation of money and state. I mean, he's also a kind of an OG figure in the crypto space. You know, if you read Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper, which outlines the sort of, you know, Bitcoin history, he's the first name to get mentioned in the book. So I think, you know, just kind of given who Eric is as a person, given kind of how Shapeshift has done their business thus far, this announcement came kind of as a big shock to a lot of the uh, people in the industry. And it's caused a lot of uh, <laughs> social media uproar. Yeah. And I will add that the way that it was written in the blog post, which I will link to in the show notes, is that first they said, hey, we're going to be, you know, allowing people to do these things with memberships that you can't do if you don't have an account. And we're going to have this token. And then it was like that third thing that really, you know, seemed like the big deal, which was the part about how accounts will first be optional, but it will eventually be mandatory. And that's what really people were talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely maybe was worded in a way that was somewhat confusing. You know, I mean, but for for me when I was reading it, I mean, so I um for, just as background, um, I um am a lawyer by training, so uh, I never ended up practicing law. But so for me when I read it, my immediate first thought I was like, this is about AML, right? And I kind of, I mean, to be very honest, I think they're in a really tough spot because. I mean, we can go into this later, but I mean, that was kind of where my mind jumped to immediately. And so I was kind of, so I just was reading up on AML requirements and the Bank Secrecy Act. And the more I read it, the more I was like, this actually made sense, like the way they kind of had to phrase it and kind of why they had to do this. Um, and I think this is kind of how, <laughs> I mean, I just did a whole like tweet about it. I didn't think it was going to take off like that because I just didn't think people would care about compliance like that. <laughs> but um, so that's where kind of my mind jumped to. And that's the reason why I kind of wrote what I wrote out. Yeah. So explain what your tweet storm said and what your theory is about why they are taking this decision. Yeah. So, I mean, <sighs> It's, it comes as no surprise when I say the regulatory situation for crypto is hugely frustrating right now, right? Because you're in a spot where, you know, I mean, crypto is just such a crazy, fast-moving industry, and we're just seeing so much money being poured in, um, not just from institutional, but mostly from retail investors. Um, and so when you see so much money from retail being poured into a space that's very new and you know, that seems kind of very scary to people outside of it. I think and it's just, it's hard for lawmakers and it's hard for even, I mean, mainstream media, right? I mean, they love to sensationalize things. And so when you're just kind of looking from the outside in, you're like, oh my God, this is just, this whole industry is just crazy. So anyway, so the <laughs> the whole thing is just to say oh, that. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's in a, no one's in an easy position right now, you know? And um, so, so FinCEN, um, so FinCEN is a bureau of the US Treasury Department. And they were kind of uh, one of the early, um, they're one of the regulators, at least on the U.S. side, to kind of issue guidances early on. And they so, were actually the first. Yeah, yeah, like in 2011. Yeah, and, oh, really? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was 2013. Yeah, so the 2013 of kind of like, yeah, added on to the 2011 one. Okay. But the 2011 one basically first amend, amended what it could mean to have currency. Okay. And I also just want to flag for readers that that means Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. FinCEN. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, so they've kind of come out and, and yeah, so, so let's say, you know, 2011, 2013, kind of like, all right, if we think you're, you're a MSB, which is a money service business, then you're under jurisdiction and, and, you know, and FinCEN is the administrative of the Bank Secrecy Act. And what the Bank Secrecy Act is, <laughs> is, um, so the Bank Secrecy Act was first passed in like the seventies and, um, really brought in its powers, um, through the U.S. Patriot Act. So we all remember after 9-11, the Patriot Act was passed. And for, um, I think most people, what that means is, okay, we know that, you know, the U.S. government tracks and can intercept communications um, uh, for kind of intelligence gathering purposes, right? But what a lot of people, I guess, like don't realize is that it also gave the Treasury broad authority over financial institutions, essentially to prevent uh, money laundering and terrorist financing. And as a result, yeah, so, so those are sort of like, what 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 are known as AML laws, anti money laundering laws, 
And then a subsection of that is KYC, which is know your customer. So it's like a lot of like different subsections within it, but they're all kind of under the general umbrella of basically what FinCEN can do. You know, it sounds like I'm throwing out a ton of just like laws out there, but they're kind of all under the major umbrella, which is, you know, that FinCEN has the authority to carry out requirements as required by the Bank Secrecy Act. And so as applied to ShapeShift, why would all this, you know, make them decide to suddenly institute? Yes. (laughs) So going back to this. (laughs) um, So, okay, this is again, this is my guess, right? Because Vincent hasn't come out with any sort of like action. But my guess is, you know, why does why would ShapeShift all of a sudden require account information? Because, you know, if we go back to AML, we go back to KYC under that know your customer. That means that if you're a money service business, you have to know your customers. And that means you have to know your customer's identity through the form of a government ID, a passport or whatever. And you also need to know addresses. And those are just like two of the very basic things that you need. Um, so if FinCEN says to, you know, ShapeShift, you know, the way we've decided or the way we looked at your business model is that you are actually a money service business under our definition then you haven't been complying the laws because you haven't been providing any of this information. And so my guess with why Eric, and you know, like, like I said, you know, and we all know this, like Eric has been super outspoken about, you know, separation of money and state. He's, he's a, you know, he has sort of very libertarian views and I can't imagine this to have been like a really easy decision for him to make. Yeah. I actually want to just read a transcription that Jake Chervinsky, who's also a lawyer uh, who tweets a lot about crypto, that he made of an Eric that uh, of an interview that Eric did with what Bitcoin did, which is another great crypto podcast. Eric said, quote, whether accounts and actually some of this is um, Jake, I think paraphrasing some of the words, whether accounts would become mandatory or not is an open question. I don't dot dot dot. I would never want that to happen. But if the regulatory risk got so high that I felt it was the only path that would protect the company and indeed the users of the company, then I might have to take that path. But it would suck. I mean, accounts should be optional. So if it ever happened, I mean, it would be under duress. It would basically be us saying we were forced by these guys with guns to do something that our customers don't want, that we don't want, and that we think is unethical. But that's kind of par for the course. And yes, I I do know that Eric often (laughs) refers to the government as guys with guns. Um, (laughs) So Jake, in his tweet storm, he concluded, point is, if you viewed ShapeShift's announcement as a sign that Eric sold out, I think you've got it wrong. Sure, no government agencies have made official announcements about ShapeShift, but their fingerprints are all over this decision. This is just how regulation works. We're going to discuss how the how the BSA and why Eric should be especially cautious played a role. But first, a quick announcement, which is that this ad spot could be yours. If you're interested in running an ad on Unchained or Unconfirmed, reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com. I'm speaking with Catherine Rue of Masari. And so let's just talk in general about kind of the difference between the BSA and some of the other regulations that everybody has been talking about this year or for the past year with the ICO boom, everybody has been talking about securities regulation. And there has been a lot of fear in the crypto community because there were a lot of subpoenas that were sent out by the SEC to different teams that held ICOs. But how is the BSA different? 
Well, I think one thing that we all need to remember is that the SEC is not the only agency that has jurisdiction over this industry. And I don't blame, you know, I mean, these, no one ever thought, I mean, when I was in, when in law school, like securities regulation wasn't like the hottest class everyone wanted to take, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) it's just uh, like securities law and administrative law are, you know, kind of two of the classes that I think a lot of people look at and be like, oh God, this is so dry. But, you know, but taken, you know, so when you apply it, but when you apply to crypto, which is this very new, exciting field, all of a sudden it becomes relevant. And, you know, right now I think, you know, I mean, I think leading up to, I mean, especially in 2017, all of the arguments has been around, oh, the Howey test and the SEC. And I think it's because maybe it sounds a little more like fun, you know, because the Howey test is like, oh, you're arguing about like oranges or whatever. And it's also associated with with ICOs, which was this really new, exciting thing. So a lot of people just kind of think, oh, the SEC is like kind of the only agency that matters, but that's not true at all, right? I mean, there's a whole alphabet soup of agencies that are watching, right? And this includes the CFTC, this includes the uh, like FinCEN, this includes the OCC, this includes the IRS. I mean, just just a, a lot of agencies are watching because everyone's just like, we don't know what to do with this, right? Um, there's such a big sort of education gap and people are really scared of what they don't know. And so, you know, and, and you said earlier that the SEC issued a bunch of subpoenas, but I wouldn't be surprised if other agencies have also done similar things or, or are watching just as closely. Um, and then actually speaking of the SEC and just relating this back to um, Eric Voorhees for a second, let's not forget that Eric was charged by the SEC back in 2014 um, for selling unregistered securities. So so he's like had run-ins with U.S. regulators. So, I mean, kind of like I'm not surprised that he's – I mean, he, he knows he's not above the law, you know, because he's he's been kind of in a position before where he's been charged. And so – I mean, you can't forget about that. And I think a lot, the way that a lot of people have been, uh, well, I don't want to say this, but the, the, the way that some people in the industry have been acting is that, well, the laws aren't clear. And so therefore I'm above the law, but you can't have that sort of attitude, you know? And, and the reason why laws are so slow to change and they're vague and they're broad is because, you know, when lawmakers write laws, they don't expect to amend it the next day or the next year even. Right. Like the SEC derives its authority from the Securities Act, which was written in the 30s. And that still applies today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And the Howey test, I think, was decided in the 70s, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, for listeners who want to know more about this alphabet soup of regulators that have jurisdiction here over all the different activities that are taking place in the crypto community, you should definitely listen to a really, really comprehensive episode I did on Unchained with Perry Ann Boring and Amy Divine Kim on uh, from uh, the Digital Chamber of Commerce. We covered pretty much every single regulatory <laughs> topic as it applies to crypto. And that was sometime in the spring, if I remember correctly. So, so just to go back actually to Jake's tweet storm, what did you, you know, make of what he said? And do you have any particular theory as to why Shapeshift is making this decision now after not having accounts for so long? Yeah, I mean, we can only speculate now, but I mean, my guess and, and same with Jake is that, you know, either, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is because usually when agencies do any sort of investigation, it's, it's always confidential. 
I mean, for reasons that make sense, right? Because sometimes you launch an investigation, you end up not finding anything, but then you've like totally ruined the reputations of the people that you're investigating. So for a host of reasons, all of these investigations and, and a lot of these details have to remain confidential. And actually, I remember seeing, I think someone was like, well, why can't Shapeshift just like wave that confidentiality and just come out and tell us what it really happened? But, and this is a point that I think Jake also made, which is that like anything, I mean, we've all watched like, you know, Law and Order or whatever. And like the Miranda warnings is really just, you know, you have the right to remain silent because anything that you say can and will be used against you in the future. Right. So, I mean, from a strategic standpoint, it doesn't make, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me that Shapeship would waive that sort of confidentiality, especially when there's no sort of like, we don't even know what the details are. We don't know, you know, who went to talk to them. We don't know like what's be- going on. I mean, there's just so much of this is kind of kept in the dark for good reason. Um, and I think to speculate is sort of um, not very fair. Yeah. One thing that I would flag, though, uh, in terms of what you were saying about how, you know, everything that you say can be used against you, uh, you did have in your tweet storm a link to a tweet by Eric where he <laughs> wrote, what I write is being watched very closely. Please give us time. So, you know, he's <laughs> kind of like full on. <laughs> I mean, he's aware, right? That I mean, he's feeling the pressure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all know that your social media channels are looked at. So actually when I was in, when I was in law school, I actually worked for the SEC and I worked for the division of enforcement. And a lot of the cases that I worked on were insider trading and market manipulation cases. And a, like a bunch of our evidence came from people's social media channels, you know, or their Instagrams. I mean, I, I don't, that's not surprising to me that Eric is careful about what he's writing out in public. But I think a lot of people took that out of context or like, oh, something really shady is happening. I'm like, no, I think Eric is just being careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what do you think this move says about where the crypto industry is going or what effect regulation will play moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think so there's there's one really big thing that I want to emphasize, which is that I really don't think regulators are kind of like hiding around the corner, just like waiting to get you, right? I mean, like that's that seems to be the narrative that's playing out. But like when you if you actually talk to regulators and you know, as part of you know, Masari, like we're engaging with regulators all the time. And we've been actually been down to DC, we've talked to the SEC, and they're very, very open-minded. Like they genuinely want to learn, right? And there's a whole host of benefits that come from educating our regulators. For example, like I think there are ways that you can do KYC without having to totally just disclose everyone's information, right? Like zero knowledge proofs or whatever. I mean, this is just one small part of like how education can really help. But also the second thing, which is that like, just because you don't think the laws um, apply to you doesn't mean they don't. And if you look at Shapeshift, Shapeshift did not even have a chief legal officer until last week. And as a business that transacts, you know, that helps people either convert money or move money from one place to another, you would think that, you know, legal or at least compliance would be one of the first hires. And, you know, and also this is another really big point that I want to say, which is that just because you're not, your headquarters are not in the U.S. doesn't mean you are safe from the long arms of U.S. regulators, um, because as long as you serve U.S. customers, you're subject under U.S. laws. So those are just like, I think three, I mean, three or four things that to me seems really obvious, but I think to maybe people who aren't so familiar with, you know, either how the law works or how the, how regulators think, these are things that are really easily overlooked. 
Hmm. And so do you expect that we'll see more companies going in this direction moving forward? I'm not sure. I think right now we're seeing a battle of like the two very different sort of business models, right? On one hand, you see the ones that are slowly becoming more and more regulated, almost to the point of a, you know, I mean, for example, if you look at Coinbase, I think, you know, they're one of those companies that are kind of playing it by the rules and by the book. And then you see on the other, like on the other hand, you see companies that are, uh, and I don't really want to name names here, but who are flocking to countries like Malta or like whatever, they're just picking up and leaving. Um, and kind of playing this, I mean, I don't even know, I, that's hard, really hard for me to say how that's going to end up happening. And I don't know which side will win. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess people will have to just keep listening to my podcast to find out what happens. (laughs) All right. Great. Well, this has been so um, fun talking with you about something that's, um, that would, I guess, otherwise be considered boring. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Sure thing. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.